Boston Science Podcast, hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comessi and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerful topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand Welcome everyone to episode four of our podcast. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Wilkes formula and then the IPF transitioning to their new IPF formula uh, starting in 2019. So this first part I'll do by myself discussing a little bit about the Wilkes formula. And then the second part will be an interview with Joe and myself um, and a special guest, Yulia, discussing the various proposals that were submitted to the IPF and why they end up going with the one that they did. Uh, finally pick so just wanted to discuss a little bit about the Wilkes formula which is created by Robert Wilkes and it's a fifth order polynomial using data from various national and international competitions from 1987 to 1994 and they actually did a validation study on this in 1999 and but as far as I know there hasn't been anything done since then to make sure that it's still accurate so what it actually is, is it spits out a coefficient to you based on your body weight and it allows you to compare yourself to lifters in other weight classes because we already have a way to compare ourselves within the weight class, which is just who totals more, but there's no way of comparing lifters in different weight classes. So this gives you a coefficient based on your weight and then you can compare that to someone else so there's actually tables for this based on your body weight and so for men it goes from 40.0 kilograms body weight all the way up to 205.9 kilograms body weight and then for women it also goes from 40.0 kilograms but only up to 150.9 kilograms so you already see a possible flaw that could be in this formula and that is what if you weigh below or above what the uh, the table was created based on the data they used back then in 1987 to 1994. So for example, there may be a lifter who's below 40 kilos, which um, we've had before in, in some of our world championships for the sub-junior division. I think maybe even the juniors for some of our, our 43 kilo females, they've actually weighed in less than 40.0. Um, and also if you try to use this for like the new youth divisions that USA Powerlifting has and try and use it on lift, youth lifters that are 30 kilos or 20 kilos, then they are going to be at a disadvantage with the Wilkes formula because their coefficient is as if they were 40 kilos, even if they weigh 30. And on the flip side, if someone's on the other end, they actually gain an advantage of it because they'll get the coefficient based on them weighing 150.9 kilos, even if for a female, or 205.9 for a male, even if they weigh above and beyond that body weight. So from the very get-go, that's one of the limiting factors of the Wilkes formula. But when they did do the, the validation study in 1999, they used the top two performers from the 1996 and 1997 World Championships, as well as the current world record holders. So it came out to a total of 30 men and 27 women that they used for each lift and what they found out that their conclusion was that there was no bias in the Wilkes formula when it came to bench press and total 
So that works well for the IPF for a number of reasons, um, especially to start was that their competitions are only three lift or bench press only. And the, the data, the research shows that there is no bias. And also they don't have uh, youth divisions, so they're less likely to have lifters below that 40 kilogram uh, lower limit. Um, and on the upper limit, there aren't too many people above that limit, so it doesn't actually affect too many people uh, up on the upper limit either. So it worked well for them. But even then, since 1999, when they did this validation study, a lot of rules in the IPF have changed which can affect this formula. So one of them would be that they've added now a raw division and around to, about 2011, they started the raw division, which uses a different set of equipment and can change the uh, numbers for squat bench and deadlift and even the total once you combine it all in the body weight because you may get more out of a bench shirt compared to out of a deadlift suit. So that has changed by adding that division. And also within the equipped division, the equipment itself has changed. There's a stronger material that's used and some of the rules have changed. For example, you can touch lower on your torso now for bench press. So it allows some lifters to get a lot more out of a bench press shirt. So just some of the divisions and the rules changing have changed the variables that could possibly make the, the formula biased in one way or another in these categories that has never been checked since then. And then when you go to other federations or lower levels, for example, in USA Powerlifting, now we have the youth divisions. So fortunately, USA Powerlifting does not use the Wilkes formula at the youth nationals. Um, one of the reasons being that it's not meant for the youth lifters. Uh, and secondly, it's because they were trying to develop the youth lifters for the future, not trying to determine who's necessarily the best out of all of them. So they don't do a best lifter award and they don't use the works formula. But if you were to use it for a youth division and you're getting into those 30 kilogram or maybe 20 kilogram body weights, then it's going to skew it. Also, some people, uh, including USA Powerlifting, use it for deadlift only competitions like the Arnold Pro Deadlift is based off a of formula even though the original idea was not for deadlift only. Um, same thing if you're doing push-pull. It, it, it doesn't show, uh, they didn't do a validation on whether there's a bias there or not. So a lot of things have changed since the 90s. For whatever reason, they never updated the formula, even though I believe Rob Wilkes himself said that there should be an update to it and that he would do it if he ever had the, enough time to do the update. Um, but for whatever reason, it's never been updated. There's been a lot of changes in the categories and divisions um, and the way the population is distributed. We may have actually now more lifters on those extreme ends and maybe need to build out the uh, body weights further if you're building some kind of coefficient table again. And so for whatever reason, I guess that's probably when the IPF decided that they want to look for a new formula. So they took on proposals from several people and they had a uh, university look into it and they had obviously their executives look into the uh, analysis of it and then they eventually decide on a new one that is gonna that's being used now starting January 1st 2019 so that's what the second part of this uh, podcast will be is we'll have our special guest that will discuss the proposals and what the IPF was trying to do and why they picked the proposal that they did. All right, so we're going to transition now to part number two. I'm welcoming our guest, Yulia Zamri, today. Um, Yulia, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? 
what you got your degree in and what your current job title is. Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Yulia. And uh, so starting with the degree, I'm actually currently getting uh, another master's to my collection. Uh, this one is in data science from UC Berkeley. And I have um, another degree in marketing analytics. So right now I don't have, uh, I'm a full-time student, but I do have an internship at the um, mayor's office of data analytics uh, that I'm doing right now. And also I help out a little bit with data science at squats and science. Very cool. Um, now the important question, how long have you been lifting for? It is a very important question, <laughs> and I believe on May 28th, I'll be celebrating my five-year anniversary in powerlifting. <laughs> and what, what are your best numbers? Uh, so, like, my squat is like 330, something like that. Uh, so it's in a competition, and that lift was uh, 175 kilos. But like my bench in the competition usually doesn't go so well, but I did bench 205. Uh, in the summer in the gym so you're, you're very strong <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what i tell myself <laughs> I, I think you're strong <laughs> um okay so now we can get started with the real questions um when looking at the various proposals what is the primary goal of a best lifter or pound for pound formula yeah so like just want to mention so basically all the information I'll be talking about is based on all the documentation provided by IPF on their website uh, so you can go there and check it out yourself I think we'll provide the links um, at the end but basically what IPF said was that um, the their main they had two goals what was scientific reasoning and theoretical background um, so they didn't have like oh, let's derive a best lifter or anything else so but if you look at the five proposals that they listed on their website um, and how they were evaluated, so we can say that they had two ranking systems with two types of goals. One was fair ranking of athletes across all weight classes and categories. So this is basically, let's look at the powerlifting population and do empirical analysis to decide who is the best lifter. And the second uh, approach would be like fair representation based on relative strengths. Um, so that would involve some kind of analytical approach that takes into account biomechanics of human body. And like they didn't provide that much detail behind those uh, proposals that we're talking about this relative strength type. But when I was like when I read it, it kind of reminded me of Greg Nuckel's solution which, with allometric scaling. So that's something similar to that. But I don't think he was one of the proposals, just to be clear. It just I think some of the proposals were um, based on this like relative strength uh, type of uh, analysis. Um, and if you talk about the one that won, like Joe Marksteiner's, um, so he was basically focused based, uh, on the first goal, which is equitable and fair representation of all weight classes in the ranking. Right. Yeah, I think I've, uh, I've read that article that Greg Knuckles has and probably a lot of people have as well that goes over basically why he thinks some of these formulas are bad and ways that he'd improve on it. And he also mentions allometric scaling. Um, and a, a way to look at it, the, the two ways I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that Greg in, says in that article is that you can have a formula that figures out who 
who really is the best lifter. So if if population B has twice as many lifters as population A, then it should be more likely that the best lifter will come from population B. And then the second method is that you're making population A and B have the same probability of winning best lifter, even if a population B has twice the amount of lifters. Is that correct? Yeah, but like the thing is to remember here is like what the goal is because IPF is so for me. Greg Nichols was talking about like the strength, like how you talk about the strength in general in population. But on the other hand, like IPF is talking about competing and the way people compete in the it's not necessarily the same as how strong they are. Like there are some different because when I come to the competition, am I at the peak of my potential, etc. So there are things. And then another big assumption that he had was that that formula uh, allometric scaling works well if people have similar body weight, uh, like body fat percentages, but it kind of like doesn't work this well when there are big differences. And I think there are some differences there how it would perform mm -hmm. but yeah yeah so yeah basically um what the ipf seems to be doing because i read the evaluation too is saying that depending on how populated the weight class is then that weight class would have that kind of probability of winning the best lifter and so it's giving it's giving more rank to uh population uh, dense weight classes, for example, let's say the 84 kilo class in the women's side and uh, the uh, like 74s in the men's side. I don't know like if I would look at it from me, like I looked at it from a distribution perspective. So this new formula, basically the main assumption, there are two main assumptions and we can talk about it later, was that like the log normal distribution of body weight and normal distribution of performance within weight classes. So when we talk about normal distribution, well, it's the same distribution within weight classes. It just, the question is how close the po actual population is to normal distribution. So we can mm -hmm. make, like, assume those distributions, but it doesn't mean that the assumption is correct. And I think that's like one of the things is that is not clear is like, did we actually were we actually able to prove that those are correct assumptions? But that can be just statistical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So we'll we'll go on. We'll go step by step through some of the things that you just mentioned right now. So we'll go. The next step will be that what did the reviewers of these proposals use as a process to evaluate each of them? Yeah. So they kind of came up with a very pragmatic approach. Like it was very like let's evaluate like let's assign a score to each and then compare average scores. So like basically the score was based on two factors. The first one was um, if uh, the scoring results of top lifters mirror the population percentages of lifters across weight classes. So that's the exact statement. So it's basically it's uh, all the weight classes represented equally like fairly in the this new system so that was the one the first one and the second one is um the scoring should result in similar score scores within a certain performance level so basically the average score um within white one weight class should be very similar to the um average score in another different uh, weight class no matter it's a super heavy weight or middleweight so kind of everyone has an equal chance to be in the top 
so those are the two criteria that they used to evaluate the the methods and um, so they did not consider how each proposal affected specific lifters so like for example like did the like did the top five make sense or not they didn't like they kind of like did it blindfoldly they didn't look uh, they don't know anyone supposedly in the powerlifting community so it was kind of fair assessment um and that's why they said that you can kind of skew results towards certain like categories for example if you want to prioritize top lifters more in the evaluation but they didn't do it because they didn't receive the direction to go so they tried to do it fairly fairly So going off of those, um, the, the requirements that they used to evaluate the, the five proposals, uh, what were the, the results um, in, of those five proposals and why did they end up choosing Joe Mark Steiners over the other ones? Yeah, so interestingly enough, they said that the average, like performance of average lifters kind of very, very similar across all proposals. The main differences were on the on the edge cases so like um uh, especially top and bottom performers and uh, that's why i'm saying like um they kind of each lifter was evaluated the same way it doesn't matter if, if it was a top or bottom performer regardless of the experience um but for example they say if you wanted to like skew more towards top performers to kind of get like fairer amount up like it's, it was also possible, but they wanted to kind of highlight that the main differences were between top and bottom. Um, so in, in terms of why they picked the one that they picked was because exactly that, because it was fair for them across their evaluation metrics, across subdisciplines and performance levels, etc. Um, and like they provide actually good visual uh, comparisons of the methods. So if you're interested, you can go there. However, I do want to point out one thing that kind of you can consider it a bias or not. So when they evaluated the uh, the five methodologies, they evaluated it based on the data provided by Joe Marksteiner. So he used openpowerlifting.org data, but he did have some selection process in terms of what performances he was picking. So that can produce some kind of advantage to his methodology, but I don't know. But the thing is, they used the data that he provided to evaluate all five proposals, and they picked his. Hmm. So, you know, <laughs> that's one of the things when you do statistical analysis, you make sure that like the data is representative and like it's kind of um, independent process. But it wasn't that much here. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. The data also was across all ages so it wasn't just looking at let's say 20 to 40 year olds because they might be the best powerlifters it was from 14 year old and up and everyone in that weight class yeah i think the, the only they said that like 14 plus that was there yes they didn't yeah. look at like so some of the proposals actually did consider age not all and they say that the evaluators the reviewers did say that age can be actually a good metric to include but based on the, the the proposals were not kind of finished uh, and also like they didn't think that the powerlifting community will be open to accepting age as a factor they kind of didn't like consider this as like not including age as a drawback of the methodology yeah it's just, just something to consider i guess because someone might go look up what their ipf formula points is 
and maybe look at where they are ranked other people. Uh, but they need to realize that, that just because they're 30 years old doesn't mean that's what they're ranking against every 30 years old person. It's everyone in their weight class from 14 year old and up. And it's also one to thing to consider, and I think uh, we can talk about this later, but based on how Mark, uh, John Mark Steiner built his sample, he picked one performance per lifter. So it's like if someone has been competing for like six years and they have like 20 observation points, they will have only one observation point, which is their best performance. That also can kind of skew like maybe towards older, like because a lot of like the younger performances are not there. So like, so that can also be an issue there. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, and and maybe not just older uh, age-wise, maybe older training age-wise is what you mean. Yep. Someone yes. who's competed in powerlifting a long time and has put up a lot of totals, those totals only one's representative, whereas someone's brand new and they've done only one competition, that's an equal amount of representation. Yeah, like... Again, we can talk about this later, but it also brings up to the point, like, why is it like, because we are, we are considering an example lifters of all levels. So you can say like there is more to skew towards more experience because of this selection bias, instead of like kind of picking up one performance a year from each lifter to kind of allow that there is more representation of different experience levels. Did Mark mm -hmm. give a justification justification why he did that or? I think the idea was like, for example, if someone is very strong, like Ray Williams, like and including he, multiple performances with him, it's kind of gonna skew towards that. Right. Like that, like there will be very like a few outliers just driven by him. But one of the things was when you build statistical sample, you kind of have to like evaluate the impact of every assumptions you do on the the results. So like for me, like it would be interesting to compare if the ranking or the formula is significantly different. If you take every performance or maybe one performance a year or just one performance, how it impacts the ranking because it actually can skew the results in certain way. Right. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned uh, for the uh, selection process that there was no significant differences um, for average performers for all the for all the proposals, but if you you said there's differences possibly in the top end and bottom end. So just looking at the top end, do you remember um, if Joe Mark Steiner's proposal was better, same, or worse than the other proposals just for the top end? Since a lot of people want to know who is the best lifter from the elite lifters. Like the thing is, like they never in the evaluation or like. Um... Uh, anywhere, like anywhere in the paper, they focus on specific lifters. Mm -hmm. So, and like, how do you know if it's better or worse? You know, like, what is the question of best lifter? Like, for me, it's like, how do you determine what is the best lifter? So, it's like, you can panel, like, if you compare to, um, uh, Wilkes formula, there are significant differences there, but it's also was the fact that Wilkes formula was kind of not performing well at the top or bottom, like in terms of fairness, but he, like uh, John Mark Steiner's is much more correlated to like performance. So, but I just don't have an answer for myself. What, what is the best uh, lifter? So, it's up to you. Like, for example, I know that Ray Live Williams took a big hit in terms of his ranking. But, like, it can be arguable if it's the right or not the correct thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what everyone argues is there's no way to know who the actual best lifter is or or what makes a best lifter. I was just wondering, based on the evaluation process they used of whether it's fair across all the weight classes, um, if it, that changes when only looking at like the top 10 percent or the top 5 percent compared to just looking at the entire population. So basically, the way they did the comparison is that um, they looked at the like different buckets of performance, and his performance was like considered the fairest across all buckets. But I didn't look like at the comparison of the top bucket in particular, like which perform, and they didn't have the list of lift uh, lists of lifters that were there. So it just depending on what metric you use, you can see different results, but. Yeah, it can be I, another follow up. We can look at like compare. Yeah, I guess it'd be something interesting if they went and looked at it eventually one day, or if someone went and went and looked at it, and maybe pull just just lifters that are top five percent or something like that, and see if the 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 method that Joe Markstein uses is is fair for the top five percent versus all one hundred percent, or if maybe those outliers will skew it to where a best lifter at World Championships will keep coming from a certain weight class. I mean, like based on what I've se I remember seeing in the paper, like he's like the top class performance. So it was like kind of very fair represented compared to the rest of the weight classes. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, like in comparison to the other one, I don't remember. And another thing that was kind of hard to evaluate that, that there was no exact formula. I think there are there is some code that will allow to replicate all five methodologies. So it is theoretically possible to score every lifter with every metric and then just do like different cuts but it's like requires some like additional work on that like hacking their own code that they provided <laughs> yeah yeah uh so you had mentioned earlier that there were some assumptions uh mark steiner made with his formula so do you want to kind of review the assumptions he made and and then why maybe those are some bad assumptions well, I don't know if I can say they're bad assumptions, but basically there were two that were made. Uh, so one is about body weight, and it's a, no a log normal distribution. So if you take a log natural logarithm of the body weight, you assume that this new variable will be na uh, normally distributed. And the other one is that if, if you look at the performance, so weighted lift within each weight class, it will also be normally, distribu uh, normally distributed. So... The thing is, like he he makes these assumptions, but it's not necessarily he successfully kind of proves that they are correct. He provides some correlation metrics, but correlation is actually doesn't is not a test for normal distribution. Uh, so, like visually, it kind of may be, but it's not proven. But on the other hand, like. This is from a statistical perspective, right? And then if he basically used the linear regression to kind of that uses these assumptions, and he also didn't like kind of validate the assumptions of that regression. But on the other hand, like if you forget about this part and just look at the results, they are the best out of five proposals based on the evaluation metric. So you can decide for yourself if you want to do like a statistically accurate methodology, but that maybe is not fairly, doesn't create fair representation, or is it more important to do fair representation that might have those assumptions validated? So it's, there are a lot of things to consider here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I certainly don't want you to 
to go and say, oh, the Mark Steiner's formula sucks or I have a better version. <laughs> no, but like based on the evaluation, it was the best yeah. that was for, out of five proposed. That's yeah. the fact. Well, yeah. based on the evaluation. So. Yeah, but yeah, what I just meant is, yeah, that the, the assumption that he went with for his process was that within each weight class, it's a normal distribution of the performances. And we don't know for sure if that is correct for every single weight class for both male and female for both full power and bench press only and for both raw and equipped since there's all those are different formulas so it's possible that it, it is correct uh it's possible that it's also not correct because you're you're even saying that what he used to kind of test it isn't actually a, too, a true test of showing that uh, that it is a normal distribution yeah, like, I mean, it's possible to do a lot, a lot of statistical, some statistical tests that will, like, validate that assumption. So, I mean, it's quite, it's quite possible. Another thing to remember is, like, it's a sample of population. It's not the entire population. So, another thing, how representative is a sample of the population? So, that can also be, uh, like, a statistical analysis of its own. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so if we don't want to talk about all the cons, what are some of the, the pros that, that were at this approach? Well, I think, uh, first of all, like why they wanted to do the new formula is because they knew that Wilkes formula is outdated. So like if you start talking about the improvements over Wilkes formula, so one of them is like that he's, John Markstein is still using a much larger sample of lifters, so it's more. We can argue that it's more representative of overall lifting population, um, and uh, so basically anyone who participated in a sanctioned meet was potentially considered to be in a sample. But again, it would be their best performance out of all the performance available. And also, like one thing to note is that he used a like after the new weight classes implemented. So that's how he built the sample. So I think at the end it was around 20,000 like lifters. Um, and then he also develops like a different uh, coefficient for men versus women, classic versus equipped, th uh, three lift versus bench. So to, because you can argue that like the means and uh, standard deviations within those gr groups can be different. So like by creating a different coefficient, he kind of can better control for the distribution within each. Um, another benefit <laughs> that they bring up is that he's using two factors instead of uh, two parameters instead of one, which is both mean and a standard deviation uh, of the in the distribution. So it kind of controls for variances uh, within uh, each category. And for me, the big one was also that it was relatively transparent methodology and easy to update because I think a lot of criticism for Wilkes formula was that no one really knew what sample he used or how he derived his method. But here the data is available. He explicitly states his methodology. There are like a couple of things that I wasn't able to figure out. But other than that, like you can replicate his methodology pretty clearly. Uh, and then um, he is actually successful at achieving his goal, which was the fair, uh, the, the score creates fair distribution of lifters across weight classes. I think that was a big one. And um, another one I think that people, a lot of people will appreciate is that you can actually compare yourself to other people using percentiles. So I don't know, like I, 
I haven't seen any like calculators that actually calculate the percentile instead of the IPF formula, but he has a link to a spreadsheet where you put your numbers and it shows like your percentile. For example, you can be like 90th percentile, so it means you're better than 90% of all the lifters like within like evaluated category, which is kind of a good comparison, I think, but um, it kind of takes a little bit of an extra step. To get there because it's not in the formula it's like another step from the formula yeah it gives yeah context to like to your performance compared to like the wilk score which seems like an arbitrary thing like if you just tell someone what your wilk score is they'll just be like okay well i don't really know what that means if they're not a lifter but if you could say you know top percentile or specific percentile it's a little a little more context i think yeah, I calculated my own. I was like, so <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I feel so much better about myself now. <laughs> yeah, and that um, that that uh, Excel file he actually had on the Facebook group since about April. So some of us have been already messing around with it last year, and so I actually went and did like the percentiles for some of the top lifters, and I posted it up. And I and I thought that that's what they're gonna go with 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 percentile because it's so much easier to understand, as Joe's saying. But um, for Wilkes formula, you kind of have to be a lifter and kind of have to be a lifter for a while to realize, oh, maybe for raw, 400 Wilkes is, is pretty good and 500 Wilkes is elite. And for equip, maybe like 500 Wilkes is pretty good and 600 is elite. Right. But it, it's, it's hard to gauge. So with the percentile, you know exactly, okay, I'm 90th percentile. You know how much you're better than every single person in your weight class. But for whatever reason, they decide to put kind of like that uh, 500 being the, uh, the middle. And uh, I'm not sure why they did that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I think it was coming like from Wilkes, like it's kind of a carryover from Wilkes uh, times. I, I think with time, pre when people will get used to it, at least within powerlifting community, they will probably create their own benchmarks because I don't think that just 400 Wilkes or 450 just appear like that. But I do agree, like why not do just the percentile? But on the other hand, like it's also like, if suddenly next year there will be like a bunch of new very strong lifters that skew the distribution those percentiles might not be valid valid just because the coefficients were derived based on the distribution of the sample so but it's kind of highly unlikely that like in one or two years the population will just gets a huge skew so but i do agree that percentile is much easier to think about yeah, and, and so going off of the fact that they're using a normal distribution, can, I don't know how much you looked into the equation, but can you almost look at like 500 is the, the average? So would 100 points above that be one standard deviation above? Well, 500 points is just a constant he added. Like there is like, so you can, the, the, the I was surprised to see that there are lifters that are way below 500. So, but basically i guess you can say though like but it's kind of it's it's measured in standard deviations from the mean but from the mean for like kind of controlling for your body weight and for your category so it's kind of yeah but you can measure it in standard deviations from the mean okay yeah because I, I was i was looking at it and i was trying to figure it out as almost if, if 500 is the mean then 600 be, would be one standard deviation above and 700 would be two standard deviation above and 800 would be three standard deviations above that mean. 
but like you have to consider again that what is your body weight and what is your like uh, category so and i think so that's why percentiles make more sense because then like median is 50th percentile so 90th percentile but i don't know like I guess you can count it like how many standard deviations from the mean, but it's not that simple based on the formula because he has like the the numerator has this own calculation of your like you take a log of your body weight and then you apply two more coefficients and then the denominator is also taking some extra coefficients. So I think it can be approximated, but not really. I wouldn't use it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that might be a way that people can kind of... Uh maybe work backwards to figure out what their percentile is because if they're like one standard deviation above then then maybe they can say hey i'm in the the top uh 25 if i'm two standard deviation above i'm in the top two and a half percent if i'm three standard deviation above i'm in the top one percent but again yeah <laughs> no i so, wouldn't go that way <laughs> yeah so it's kind of too hard to do with the way the equation set up well, if you look at the formula in his Excel, like it's actually taking like the normal distribution curve and like calculates like where you're on the this curve. So it it takes a much harder calculation to derive the exact yeah. percentile. Yeah, yeah. And the the other thing you mentioned uh, that I I kind of I think I maybe disagree with you. We'll see what Joe thinks. Is you're thinking that there might not be a big uh, jump in the change in numbers in the next year or two based on if they put in new data. Uh, but I was thinking maybe with the, the how fast the sport is growing and how fast some of these lifters are, are getting stronger and stronger, where now some of the juniors are competing with the Open and breaking Open records. Um, and even on on the other side, you have Masters 1 lifters breaking Open records with how fast and the, the numbers are going up, that it might um, – the data points are going to jump up, the top ones and even the middle ones, and you're also going to get new data points and new lifters that may be very strong as well. And it's possibly going to skew this – for the first few years as the sport's still growing. But then eventually, as the sport kind of stops growing as fast, then it'll kind of level off. Yeah, I think I agree with Arian on that. Because just the demographic increase alone, wouldn't that skew the calculation? Just by the fact that there's so many people coming to the sport every year. I mean, I know it's an, it, rated by performance, so it's just if you, you're assuming that there's – X amount of people coming to the sport every year, there's going to be more outliers thrown in there, right? I mean, that's kind of maybe that's a kind of a bold. Well, but. but the thing, like, he used 20,000 observations, like, yeah. and then but then you have like different splits, so it will be smaller, but one or two outliers shouldn't make such a big difference. But my, to my point, I mentioned previously, maybe that's why it's better not to consider just one observation per lifter, but kind of take more like like once a year just to have like wider representation of like lifters that are like earlier in their powerlifting career instead of skewing those that have more experience. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no there's no right answer to it. It's more of an opinion. And I think the opinion is whether you think the new data that's coming in, let's say in the next year or two, is going to be uh, like stronger or weaker or the same as the current data. Because if the same amount of people come into the sport that are, let's say, 300 IPF points, 400 IPF points, 500, 600 is, is distributed, then it's just going to average out to the same thing. But if we think we're going to get a lot more stronger lifters coming in and then our stronger lifters are going to get 
exponentially stronger, then it's possibly going to skew the data. Um, one one example that uh, ev everyone knows is, uh, for example, would be Amanda Lawrence in the 84 kilo class. So like the world record is 213 kilos. I just looked it up. But she's going to possibly bump that up to, who knows, 240, 250, 260. So all of a sudden, your record is going to go from 213 to 260. And same thing for deadlift and total. And it's going to just shoot all these data points up. Right. And anecdotally, if you look at the year before, it was Daniela Mello. And, you know, when she came along, everyone thought that was crazy. And <laughs> now you have Amanda Lawrence. And But, again, they're like, how many of observations like that there will be? I mean, yeah. we're talking about large numbers here, so those can be just outliers and they might not make a big difference. And another thing is, there is no bad data. <laughs> like, it just, what we can do is just compare, like, how, like, if there is a significant change in distribution and then adjust the methodology accordingly, like, everything is possible. It just, like, I think it then, the, it brings up to the point, how dynamic is the, popu the powerlifting population? how fast it's changing and how fast the methodology has to change. So that was not a part of evaluation. Like they just suggested four years, but there is no like, is it good or bad? But yeah. that's something that can be evaluated. Right. Yeah, it, it just, it's just a matter of opinion because on the flip side, someone can argue that, for example, let's say a new country comes into the IPF and they go to a regional or world championship. Maybe they have a lot of young lifters and they'll put up lower totals and they'll just average everything back down. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what actually happens if they do update every four years because that's what the weightlifting does every for Olympics. They do it every four years. So maybe we'll do ours the same for the World Games. It'll be interesting to see how much it changes in four years. Well, another thing that to consider that one of the reasons that Wilkes was outdated is that average weight of the lifter increased significantly. I think like it was like 8 to 10 kilos. Mm -hmm. So, like... Another thing to consider is like the new weight classes. Maybe there is a point to introduce more weight classes at the top and or because the average lifters like shifting towards that. So that's also another thing that can change. Yeah, I, I saw that in the evaluation that the average body weight and, and the sport has gone up. I thought that was interesting. I didn't know if that was it's probably a combination, but if that's something due to just powerlifters in general training. Uh, with training age, they put on more muscle and they gain more weight and maybe fill out a weight class and go up weight class. And maybe a combination also of just in general, a lot of countries, especially like the U.S., people are just getting more and more overweight. And so the, <laughs> the, whole, the whole human population is getting heavier. So obviously the powerlifting population is also getting heavier. <laughs> well, but to be honest, like, for example, I'm in 84 kilo class and it's like, it's kind of like in the local me, there are only like two or three or 84, maybe one or two, 84 plus. It feels lonely there. I kind <laughs> of, <weird. laughs> I mean, at the nationals, it's like there is a lot more representation, but still a lot less compared to lighter weight classes. So I do hope that for whatever reasons, like <laughs> the, <laughs> there is, it's more crowded in 84, 84 plus. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on location. Uh, Joe knows from our, our squats and science championship the past few years that for whatever reason, for the men's side, we don't get very many 120 plus 120s or even 105s. So that last session of the last day for our championship always has like 10 lifters, eight lifters, and it goes very fast. Um, 
versus sometimes down here in Florida, we run competitions. We have plenty of them, and we have maybe two flights of 105, 120, 120 plus. Uh, so really, just, it just depends on location. Yeah, I, I know, Joe. That's everyone, <laughs> everyone, everyone complains how fast that flight goes because there's just not that many lifters up there. Yeah, every meet I've done in New York in the past three years has been maybe maybe two other 120s at the local level. It's uh, it's it's pretty lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we'll see what happens with time. Yeah. yeah, we'll see if they decide to go with the every four-year update, and then with that first update, we'll see like if there's any kind of drastic changes or not. I highly doubt that there will be drastic changes in four <laughs> years. Yulia is skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so sometimes it comes down to uh, like rule changes, and for the equipment side, uh, the gear changes so for example back when wilkes did the formula there was different gear used the material used than there is now and also we've changed more rules for example with bench press you used to have to not be able to touch below the xiphoid process where now the equipped benchers can touch their bellies so that kind of really skewed the numbers up too so it also depends on whether they make any rule changes in the next four years that will maybe drastically change the numbers that are capable of right like like that uh like if they try to take away the arch and bench press, all of a sudden all the numbers would drop down. Yeah. How likely is that to happen though? <laughs> Sweden's uh, that's their secret plot. <laughs> Set up for the day. I'd like to thank Julia for taking the time to help us with this project. Julia, uh, do you want to tell people where they can follow you, or if you have any um, material that is available? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm not very active on social media these days, so but I do uh, post some analysis on GitHub that I do for both like powerlifting and non-powerlifting stuff. Uh, so it's uh, github.com slash Yulia Zamri. And I've done a couple of posts on Rap one blog on Medium, so if you follow that, you can give it a read. And hopefully there will be more stuff coming out for Squats and Science. Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you, and we'll we'll try and link that blog post uh, or the blog in the uh, description for the podcast, and also we'll try and put the information from your evaluation of of the all the proposals. Uh, we'll link that on a website that they can go and look at that, and as well the link to the IPF website where they can find the evaluation that the reviewers did. Awesome. Thank all you. Right. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. Bye. Bye.